0: My name is Alan Smithson, your host for the XR for Business podcast, where we interview industry leaders who are either making or using immersive virtual, augmented, and mixed reality solutions for business. From marketing and sales, to logistics and training, to design and remote collaboration, learn how the world's largest organizations are implementing an XR for Business strategy, and why you should too. Today's guest is genocide and is an entertainment and emerging technology consultant in VR, AR, artificial intelligence, and IoT, and she's a social impact investor. Jenna has a proven executive leadership in entrepreneurship with demonstrated startup and high growth business experience. She has broad experience in traditional film, TV, digital media, augmented reality, virtual reality, and video games. She has an innate ability to lead diverse groups, including creative, financial, and engineering teams. She has outstanding content and business development success on a global stage, and a sophisticated board of directors to production level experience. She's worked for some amazing companies venture advisor for Lumo Labs, Beat Saber, Springboard VR, Felix and Paul Studios, Baobab Studios, Exit Reality VR. She's the former head of content acquisition and partnerships for Viveport at HTC Vive. And she used to be the VP of content development and strategic partnerships for the worldwide business development for Microsoft Studios. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Jenna to the show. Welcome, Jenna.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And one thing I failed to mention, people can find you at zambizipartners.com. Welcome to the show. You have done so many amazing things in your career. Where do we begin?
1: (laughs) I'm exhausted hearing you give me such an amazing intro there. I'm just this person who likes to help people tell their stories and I started off in sports then went into traditional Hollywood and somehow found myself being an explorer in all these new tech platforms and went, wait a minute, these great storytellers have all these other places to tell different branching storylines and they can do this on YouTube and they can do this on an Xbox and they can do this now in VR. And I sit right in the middle of the tech side and the storytelling narrative side and the business side. So I'm thrilled that I now have a narrative because once upon a time I had employers go, you make no sense. You move around too much. And I go, well, I'm not my grandfather that worked at IBM for 50 years. This is a world where people do bounce around every two to four years and we get to try things. And I love that I had such great experience with some of these amazing consumer products companies. They were all challenging, sometimes were great, sometimes were not so great. And now it's the first time I've been on my own, but I've never been happier.
0: So Zambezi Partners is a small consulting firm, but it seems like you're consulting for some really big brands. I mean, let's just take Beat Saber. Beat Saber was just on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Here's a VR game that is now in the forefront of mainstream media. How did that happen?
1: I'm thrilled how that happened. I will caveat it with, I was on Jimmy Fallon's team of agents back in the day. I worked on a mobile game with him. I used to work at NBC, but none of that was initiated when this opportunity came up, which is what I love so much. It was a nice thing to throw in there when people who didn't know me were like, who are you? (laughs) But from the beginning, the Beat Saber team has always believed that their product is for the mainstream. And that's what's so great about it. And there was outreach directly from The Tonight Show, from some of the producers there who knew about it. Obviously, Jimmy is a gamer, and he's been using VR to play Pictionary-like games and other fun things on his show. And there are times where, obviously, there are paid segments, and then there are times where Jimmy, and I know him personally, to do this, just generally like something. So long story short, they did the outreach. Our head of marketing, Misha, and I spearheaded making sure we delivered to them. We worked with some other tech partners on our side, Live, for example, to help them do the mixed reality. We played around whether or not we can do some custom songs for them and whatnot. And it was hard because we only have two developers, so our resources are very limited. But we were patient. They kept trying to find the right talent and make sure the tech worked. They were really amazing and follow through. And it all came to be that we got an Avenger and she hit it out of the park (laughs) so we were very thrilled and then three days later i met a dave and busters and people are looking at our test stand-up arcade unit that plays beat saber and i'm hearing people in the crowd go hey you got to see this i saw this on fallon last night and i was i couldn't have been more pleased it was it was pretty awesome and we were that machine at Dave and Buster's in in Denver, Colorado was back to back booked and families were playing. Yay! <laughs> it, it wasn't anything the families were like, "Oh, I'm not sure they should play this." Oh, I want to do it now. And people kept coming back and it was it's so awesome.
0: <laughs> it's so fantastic to see this just becoming part of our daily paradigms. VR has been accused of being isolating and stuff like this, but I don't think, especially when you have the mixed reality part where people can see what you're doing in it, I think that's really amazing. You mentioned Live. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to hang out with Six, the founder of Live, quite a few times. Great guy and amazing at taking a green screen and turning it into something magical on camera, giving people the ability to be in a video game, be part of it.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. When I was at HTC, yes, my job was, quote, sit behind a desk kind of thing. My favorite thing to do was work with all the other hardworking folks in our Seattle office and New York office who are running around doing demos at conferences and events. And I would love to go to those because seeing someone once you were able to show them, whether it was on a screen in the green screen or put them in the headset and they walk out, you can't do it any other justice than letting people see what it is. So mixed reality is crucial, I think, for people to understand what it can be, not only in hitting music blocks flying at you, but also in training and and all these other enterprise examples and educations. It's very approachable. And once people start to not be scared and there's less friction in putting a headset on with Tetherless coming, with Quest and all those other things, it's really important that VR is not only mainstream for games, but also for everything you do in your life, everything. So, I mean, until that happens, when people start to see more content and headsets in schools, and it's just every day that you're going into your job to design a car or fix a heating unit and you're putting on an AR or VR headset, that's happening and it's coming. So it's fantastic.
0: My last interview earlier today was with Jonathan Moss, the head of learning for Sprint. And they're using AR, mobile phone-based AR, to create new education modules. And they're seeing millions of dollars in savings already. Oh,
1: amazing.
0: Millions of dollars in direct transferable, because I asked him about his KPIs, you know, how are you measuring your KPIs? And mm-hmm. they said they're measuring it in four ways, through sales, customer experience, turnover of new staff, and then operating expenses. And when you look at it from that standpoint, they literally have shown a direct correlation to millions in sales and millions in savings and travel and stuff. I asked him how much it cost, and it was under $100,000.
1: Just as in enterprise or in entertainment, keep it simple. I'm always saying, and I learned this really well at Microsoft and I worked at Xbox, that we were developing the Kinect camera. And the folks who created it had so many things in their bag of tricks that you could do with just the Kinect camera. And I'd say, hey, I'm raising my hand here. The audience that you need to adopt this right now, they're not leaning forward so much that they're falling off their chairs. They're leaning forward a little bit. Just self-edit the simplest thing, Beat Saber, the simplest mechanic. You don't have to overwhelm people with all these things. You can still have them. And I think you should build a product roadmap that way. But I agree that it's the simplest thing and you don't have to spend millions of dollars on the narrative piece, on the experience to be able to communicate what you want the task to be or the feeling you want to evoke. So yeah, I love hearing that. And I think in enterprise, those are amazing KPIs to be able to judge the effectiveness of that. It's a little different, I think, on the entertainment side. But on the enterprise side, I've seen it time and time again with many, many organizations.
0: We actually built an AR platform so that people could make their own AR. And we included 3D models and animations and all this stuff. And 99% of the people used just adding a video to an image. Yeah, yep. Not surprised. If we had known that, we would have saved ourselves a year of work.
1: (laughs) But it's hard. You don't know what they want. I work with Springboard as well. You mentioned that. And they are an amazing team based in Oklahoma and have a lot of people who work remotely. And when I started working with them, they were very big into, well, let's ask the operators because they are a content management and distribution platform for our commercial operators. They're like, well, let's ask them what they want. And that's not wrong. But- You're asking people for things that they don't know about. So they're going to go back to like, oh, I want comedy. I want fashion. And you're like, well, we don't have a lot of that. We shoot a lot of zombies. And so it's not that you're throwing spaghetti out there disingenuously, but you sort of, from what you did and what a lot of people do is like, let's give them everything and then we'll see what they want. Um, They don't know right now. And so it's sort of like, hey, you've got a little bit of an edge ahead of them. Let's see if we tell them (laughs) and then hold back. It's hard.
0: It's really hard to sell everything to anybody. Yeah,
1: it is. It's like going to a cheesecake factory menu. It's too much. And so even though you have all these tools in your box there, it's you have to look at then, okay, who is my audience and what can they digest? I mean, we're doing that now with arcade operators. And there's a difference between those mom and pop independent location-based entertainment folks. Who are going online and in forums going, hey, what headset should I use? What PC? How do you daisy chain these together? Blah, blah, blah. And then you've got the tiers that are above that of the family entertainment centers who are, I say, more of a legacy business because they're used to buying a Pac-Man arcade unit. And they're like, what do you mean price per minute? You have to adjust what you're selling to all these folks who are brand new. And so for you to have all that skill set and breadth of experience is great, But then at the same time, it's like, all right, which is the most lucrative for us to scream about? It's tough.
0: (laughs) You know what I'm working on next. So it's not been announced yet, but that will take all of that learning and all of that experience and put it to good use, I hope.
1: Good, 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 good. That's all we can do. I think everyone in this space is passionate and figuring it out. And those who are not are quickly schooled by those who are. (laughs) And, And then we all sort of, it happens because it's just, It's new, even though VR has been around for 40 plus years, but now's the time. That's funny. I literally was looking through, I am old and I still read Time Magazine in the paper (laughs) version of it all. I don't read it digitally. And there was an ad from the postal service with a generic VR headset. And I stopped in my tracks and went, oh my goodness, it's getting there everyone's still figuring it out. But I sort of doubled back to that page because I see VR headsets in my dreams. <laughs> and so when I see it in a Time magazine, you're like, wait a minute, is that real? <laughs> so we're all learning. And whether it's an opportunistic to throw it in a nice four colors paid ad in Time magazine that has very few circulation at this point, like, but still, it's pretty cool.
0: I think as an industry, we are always looking for the newest, greatest, latest, best thing. What's coming next? What's coming next? And One of my podcast interviews this morning was with Casper Tickier from Zapper, the AR platform. And his mantra is, do what's possible now. Focus on what's possible now. And what's possible now is like incredibly amazing to 99% of the world. The rest of us in this industry, we're a little jaded. We're like, what do you mean it doesn't work on web? And we're so concerned about what's happening in the future that we kind of forget that Today, we can do all of these cool things, and most people are really excited about that.
1: No, I agree with Casper. We're looking at VR right now, and people are all excited about 5G. They're like, oh, we got to go and hit up the telcos. And I said, listen, they are currently, if they are doing anything, they support 360 video. We all have a list of what the opportunities are in 5G, so many things. But... You have to build for today's current technology, first and foremost, and then think how it does scale. Think strategically, what features can be leveraged, social features, holograms, who knows what, but you have to build for today's current technology. If you start trying to jump ahead when no one really knows really what that is yet, it's a problem. So Casper makes total sense.
0: Let's look at some of the business use cases. What are some of the best of this technology that you've seen so far that made you go, wow.
1: Business use cases. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think from outside because I work mostly with people who like to shoot zombies. So
0: <laughs> that's fair. One of the zombie shooting games, Brookhaven Experiment.
1: Oh, I love that game.
0: The police force in Toronto asked us to come in and do a conference, and we're like, "Well, we don't have anything. We have no idea." It was during the times where we would just say yes to everything and hope for the best. And we went to this conference. We brought Brookhaven Experiment to it, and we put these huge police guys in Brookhaven and. One of the guys was shooting zombies and it was getting really intense and I grabbed his leg. And, oh my God, this guy
1: freaked out. Yeah. Oh, rule number one, don't touch people when they're in VR. Don't do that. Come on.
0: <laughs> true, but I couldn't resist myself. No, I,
1: I hear you. I think horror and, I'm saying this in quotes, shooting scenarios. I come from video games where there's a very big difference between Call of Duty that shoots humans versus Halo that shoots aliens. I like the notion of targeting and shooting per se in zombies who doesn't want to be prepared for the end of the world and shoot zombies absolutely in that horror sort of you don't know who's coming around the corner and so I think that mechanic and that environment makes a ton of sense um it's terrifying
0: to be honest with you
1: it is terrifying it is you don't know who's behind that door you don't know which way to look like spatial audio is so important in a game so important how do you discern and distinguish between a sound to your left to your right and so i have heard because i have worked with the military on some things and others that wear tactical training. I, I had someone in from one of the branches of the military uh, the other day it was asking about something I am working on, which is a, a ironically, it was built as a game, a full body free roaming VR SDK and suit, if you will. And we built it to make it a, into a multiplayer game for potential of VR esports, whatever that can and might be. At the same time, to your point of using Brookhaven Experiment for real police training, we have now taken this SDK and the suit and the gloves that we have, and we are working with a couple branches of the military in some European countries. We're using it for so many things where you definitely need to figure out how can you train 25 to 500 people. Yeah. And that's what we're able to do with this. You can do it with a Vive Focus. You can do it with an Oculus Quest. It's been amazing. For the military, security training issues, I've seen a lot of things in that. And I've also seen a lot that we did at HTC and there are folks who can speak much more articulately about this, but warehouse and teaching people how to do supply chain and, and how do you go and find that item and train someone literally with a forklift. It's so important. Or teach a firefighter the simulation of what it's like to hold a hose with that pressure, but see what it's like in the fire, what it looks like. All of these organizations are.
0: And I think that was probably back when you were at HTC. There's a company called Raymond. Yep. They do forklift training. That's
1: who it was. Yep.
0: They won an award that has nothing to do with their industry. It was like the best technology award. And here's a forklift training company that won best technology. It was mind-blowing.
1: I love being at CES, watching my colleagues who did spearhead zombies, Jenna, everything else at the time, <laughs> them, and just... Seeing the media come in and people come in and their eyes are already wide once they do do something like a beat saber or who knows what. But then when they actually see the practical solutions that these headsets and this technology can provide, it's heartwarming. Because like my background that you ran through, I've worked at the NBA and I sold basketballs and jerseys to people. And I worked in television and I sold sitcoms to people. VR is great because I can go shoot a zombie and I can hit blocks and I I can explore gnomes and goblins and things. And it's amazing. But for the first time, I really feel I was able to, with this technology, contribute to the school systems. There's amazing use cases. I love that the Forklift Company was something that we were able to show at HTC. I believe it was two years ago at CES.
0: Yeah, actually, uh, one of my very first interviews for this podcast was uh, Alvin.
1: Oh, yeah. Yep. Love me some Alvin. He's a wonderful voice for all the things that HGC is doing. He has no fear in sharing. And it's really great, though, because people don't hear enough about all the different applications. The whole
0: point of this podcast is in meeting with thousands of different business people that none of them care or know anything about our industry. They're like, what? VR? Isn't that its game thing? I, I tried it at the rec room the other day. That was cool. And they have zero understanding that it can be used in their business. Zero. I said, well, we need to get this information out there. We'll make a podcast. That's what this podcast is, is how do we tell the world about the great work that's being done that may not be out there in the public sphere. But what is the most important thing that you think that businesses can do to start leveraging this technology? If you were to give a business advice, what advice would you give a business now?
1: I'm going to, again, put it in context of what I know. I don't want to speak to anyone else's business, but what I'm seeing one thing actually does go back to what you mentioned with Casper is something that I was going to bring up. Build for today's tech, but you do need to start thinking about where things can be going. So how does your business or does your story scale? So how do you take your Beat Saber single player experience an anomaly in its success because it is single player where Arizona Sunshine is one of the other top games and obviously multiplayer. Where do we take it with multiplayer? So we need to think about that. Think about 5G and edge cloud computing and split rendering, supporting people playing all over the world at the same time and who knows what. So you need to think about all the things where things could go. But you also need to think about the hardware and that it's supporting front-facing cameras and AR. Think about the hardware and think about how do we, from a transmedia point of view, tell that story and leverage all the different technologies if you think your story or your business warrants that. So should there be an AR component to your VR experience? But if so, brainstorm for it now, build for it, or at least put it in pencil and you can erase it later. Working for today's tech, but thinking about tomorrow's possibilities is absolutely crucial because if you're just going to throw 3D on a movie after you've already produced it, it doesn't play so well. You can't layer that in after the fact. You have to build with that in mind from the beginning. That's one thing. I think thinking about your distribution channels is the other. A lot of people call me and say, hey, I have this amazing experience. It might be about a moment in time that is perfectly communicated in VR. Take you back to this moment that is so pivotal in our nation's history or in the world or who knows what. And then they go, yeah, um, can you help us get it funded? And I'm like, didn't you announce it already with a bunch of people and partners? And they're like, yeah, you, you have to think about the distribution channels because they are fragmented. You've got great stores with the Oculus Store and Steam and Viveport. Then you've got out of home. So what does that mean? Does that mean arcades? Does that mean schools? Does that mean universities? What age range? Museums? Global, local? So you have to start thinking about where those channels are and then what are those business models? Even though it's still the Wild West, and people say that all the time, but it is, you do have to think about that before I think you publicly go, hey, we've got this great press release, <laughs> and then nothing comes of it, because it hurts everybody. When you make a big announcement for a VR piece that was acquired at a festival, and then you're like, oh, it's great, and here's the money, and na na when, where have you seen it? Don't... I'm not a big fan of press releases. I'm a big fan of a press release after you've got all the pieces in place because people are going to be able to poke holes in that. And it's going to hurt a lot of other folks who are trying to create great products and go, wait, but I thought thought this existed or this existed. No, do your diligence. Think about the distribution channels and how do you take a legacy business and appropriate it or how do you build something new? So there are a lot of great channels out there now that could use everyone's help in pushing great content through it. But think about that before you go out there and pitch something because then you're going to hurt your investors and other folks and who knows what. So
0: wise advice. On that note, if you're giving advice to maybe startups in the industry who are looking to work with these big companies because I know one of the things that you do is is look at a product and say, "Okay, well, how does this scale? How does this get beyond?" Especially in a time where There's not a lot of headsets in mass consumer adoption. It's not like an Xbox where there's one in every second household. A lot of it is location-based entertainment and stuff like that. What advice are you giving startups that are making either technology like Live or Springboard or content like Beat Saber?
1: It's tough. I'll jump around very briefly. So the Beat Saber team, extremely talented, talented. A lot to say that was there at the right time. And they released on Steam early access, even before they even wanted to. There was a lot of pressure because there was a great mixed reality piece that brought them a lot of attention. But it doesn't mean that throw something up on Steam and you'll get feedback and now you have a great piece and you know exactly what to do with it. I don't believe in that, even though some people will say, oh, just throw it up on Steam and you'll get enough info to guide you in your product development and you'll make enough sales to fund your company. Not necessarily true because not a lot of marketing there. And if not, everyone's in a position to work tirelessly without being paid and whatnot. So I guess the thing is... Wait, wait, wait a second. You mean startups don't love to work for, for free? free forever? Yeah, I've learned that from some places. It's amazing when some people who have checkbooks go, you know, I think they're startups. They should be hungry and then we'll pay them when they're really successful. <laughs> it's like the opposite of logic to me. It's like... Ugh. It drives me nuts. Creativity and forward progress and innovation come from those startups, from those innovators. And that's not to say that it doesn't come from the big companies of the world, too, but that's where it's come from. And there's a difference between hungry and starving. Exactly. And I was always telling many of the companies I worked with, because I've always worked with content creators or I represented them, I'm like, um, they have to eat or make a gesture. Don't take it for granted. I have worked with a lot of people who eat just fine and get paid a ton of money and they don't work as hard. I don't fight as hard for those guys anymore. I don't. Um, I know them all. I come from Hollywood. I fight for the ones who are the startups and stuff. It's really hard to tell them, hey, think about developing AR and MR and immersive theater. Do everything because you never know. But they can't. They can't. They don't have the resources. So it's a tough question to answer. And it's tough to be able to say to them, just focus on one thing when they are like you and have a million ideas and want to focus on everything.
0: Well, I think the problem also is that you're in an industry, you're trying to disrupt an industry that is constantly and consistently disrupting itself. So how do you build a product? How many startups got wiped out when AR Kit came along?
1: Oh, completely, completely. A couple hundred? Easily. Hardware sales are growing. I'm very bullish and I'm not a rainbows and unicorns kind of gal, but I genuinely believe that let's talk about what I think is very positive. I do think with the pending release of the Oculus Quest, I think it's going to change a lot of things. I think it's going to bring a lot of energy and, and opportunity back to the community, cause that friction that most people have, which is like, oh God, I got to get a VR ready computer and that's X amount of dollars. I got to set up these base stations or blah, 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 blah. I really think now that Oculus is going to have a portfolio of products, people are going to be able to afford them, be able to find content that might be passive or slightly interactive, and then find the things that are six stuff, really interactive. So I'm a big believer in that. And I'm a big believer in the opportunity. Again, I'm going to stick with the sort of B2C world, the free roam full body kind of experiences as well. You're seeing that in the LBE space where most people are going to experience and go tell their friends about VR. What I would tell like these folks is you have to think about social. So no matter which thing you're building for, AR, VR, whatnot, you have to build social. I'm working on a lot of immersive theater meets VR, AR. And the biggest challenge we're having is they're like, oh, it's a very intimate single player experience. And I go, that's adorable, um, but it doesn't scale and no one's going to sponsor it because it's throughput. How do you get more people through it? It doesn't benefit you if you only have like one person every hour. So think about social, think about the experience of the people around the experience. Same thing for enterprise, right? You have to build for scale. If you have a company of 10, a company of 200, how do you do that?
0: Actually, you mentioned something interesting. The ability to engage other people when they're not in headsets is very important. I went to VR Park in Dubai and what they've done is they've, like, I went around the first day and I didn't try anything VR. I just walked around the place. And just walking around was mind-blowing. They basically took a VR thing that you can buy for your house. But what they had done is they created this whole facade where you walk in. I played the John Wick game. And when you're playing John Wick there you're in a bank vault Mm -hmm.
1: shooting like it's so really yeah you have to do that because i mean if you you can throw up beautiful walls that set up your periphery for a vive or an oculus right you're setting your chaperone system up and people can see the hardware but that alone doesn't convey the experience you're about to go in Uh, so there is responsibility i believe on the part of operators or if you're in at an event i don't I mean full blown out comic-con, multi-million dollar setup that a lot of the movie studios do, which are beautiful. I did I worked on the Ready Player One partnership. I've been involved in a lot of things. And yeah, the action's happening in the headset, but people need to be marketed to. And so they want to feel that experience the moment they walk through, quote, the door to either buy the ticket or go through the queue. So there is a little bit of you know pageantry involved in bringing people in in VR Park does take something that they can now go home and go, oh, I can do John Wick at home. And they don't need all the physical build out, but they have that. So I do think just like take a little learning tip from Hollywood, uh, make it a big activation if it isn't an LBE. Even now on the small indie side, the operators are desperate for marketing material. And that's a lot of a burden on a small indie developer who's like, I just want to build my game and code. And I'm really good at that. I don't I don't know how to make posters or tchotchkes and things like that. But there are intermediaries of the springboards of the world and the syntheses of the world and private label and control V. There are parties that can help create those mixed reality videos or help them create templates and posters. So I love that you bring that up because the VR park is an anomaly. It's ginormous and everything there is very fabulous out in Dubai. But here doesn't mean it has to be 100,000 square feet to do that. It doesn't need to be, but still 95% of the, I think it's higher than that, of people walking into an arcade or wherever they're, if you're going to see a Vive or an Oculus or whatever the headset, it will be in an AT&T store. I know they're also selling magically. That's a whole other discussion, but wherever they're going to experience it, this person probably hasn't tried it before. So what is it? They're like, oh, let's try this other piece of tech. No, you have to sort of make a show out of it, sales. That's why the mixed reality videos running on a monitor are so important, or thinking about if I'm going into an immersive theater experience like Jack, which debuted at Tribeca last year with Baobab, was amazing. It got such critical response and based on a Jack and the Beanstalk, but it's a single person experience. So what would you do to involve other people? Do we all like fight for that magic bean and we get chosen? Do we get to vote on how the person participates? I'm literally trying to figure that out right now. How do I take Jack and make it much more social? If anyone has any ideas, please hit me up. (laughs) Um, It's really important to involve other people or give them a reason to share it and tell other people about it.
0: I think one of the things that's missing from these LBE or location-based experiences is a take-home or a shareable or some way to share the experience.
1: Mm-hmm. They're working on it. You're shooting down the roller coaster and they take that horrible picture of you screaming, right? And then you can buy it for whatever. There's that that's coming. Liv's working on things like that. Mixed cast coming from Blueprint. These are some technologies that are being integrated into a lot of the games such that an operator can offer up that video experience or even a director's cut of your experience in that world that's immediately shareable. Mind Show, which is one of the most brilliant VR experiences, I think, that's from day one, where people can actually create their own TV shows and be the star of their own sort of animated sitcom, if you will. That was immediately shareable. I think there's some amazing things out there that people at home are going to be able to participate in. And then there are going to be some things at the arcades where there is a shareable video or there is you know, with 5G, we can all be watching 360 movie together and then participate. And then we can all maybe manipulate the scenes together, or we can all go into a live concert together and then copy it, click and push it and share it. So you're totally right. We need more of those tools, but I am actively seeing them happen right and left and expect you to be out with the next one soon too.
0: My kids are kind of spoiled. We have a, we have a Magic leap, We've got a HoloLens. We've got two vibes. We've got all, we literally have all of the things.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have to. There's a whole generation that has no idea what this is. We've got our generation that is like, uh, I think I know what this is. And then the next, which is like, what do you mean? Who doesn't grow up without a headset?
0: <laughs> the problem that I see, and, and here's what makes me a little bit concerned, is that we have all of this tech and my kids don't gravitate towards it.
1: Yeah, your kids are gonna be like, yeah, wait, what do you mean you didn't grow up with your own Finch controller? <laughs> I had like six, you know?
0: <laughs> we used to have two vibes set up in the basement so you could actually have two people in it, and it. But there was never anything where you could both participate together, even though I had two vibes set up 20 by 15 space set up. It was like, okay, you can both do tilt brush, but not together.
1: Why do you think that is? Is it because, you know, this is dad's business or is it because. I think it's because maybe their friends don't have it, and if it, other people don't have it.
0: Let's pivot this on a very high note. What problem in the world do you want to see solved with XR technologies?
1: Okay. I love this question because I didn't realize this technology could make my dreams come true. I am a huge um, animal rights animal advocate advocate. And Zambezi Partners, my consulting umbrella, if you will, my business partner and I, we built it out of our mutual love of saving animals, uh, specifically big animals, because my partner is a trained safari guide and my family's been in sort of the animal rescue quote, business for a long time. And I looked at my nieces and went, oh my God, in five to 20 years, they won't see rhinoceri, as I like to call them. Uh, they won't see elephants or giraffes. I have to do something about it. So long story short. Zambezi Partners was meant for us to help companies in our consulting practice, practice such that we can bring tech ranging from AI, AR, VR, blockchain, IoT, bring that to Africa, to Sub-Saharan Africa specifically, and help preserve these animals by capturing them, not in a bad sense, that uh, poachers do, but protecting them with drones, protecting them with amazing cameras, capturing great footage and making those documentaries, putting people in those worlds, supporting them with donations to these environments that we can create in a virtual world and tokenizing them. Um, So I believe XR and all the other emerging tech that complements it can be used for the United Nations and their sustainable development goals and specifically for me, animals in in Africa. And so that's what I am personally working on right now and bringing that tech over there and raising a fund to bring alternative income sources to the communities uh, so that they don't have to poach. But this technology can be used for security and, and all these other issues that are out there. But for me personally, you've worked in Hollywood for a long time and you work in tech and you're like, I really love animals because they're just innocent. <laughs> I'm going to work with them for a while. I'm excited to be on this mission where I never thought I could combine my passion with the technology. And that's what I'd love to use it for. And I'm already well on my way in doing that.
0: That was amazing, and I wish you all the most success with that. And if there's anything you ever need, I'm here to help as well.
1: I can't thank you enough. I'm a huge fan and get so much of my information from your very genuine sharing of it on all the different channels and whatnot. And so I would love to pick your brain more about it. This is the case where I do want to know everything because information is my currency. And if I can help bring a little tad of information to a client or to a friend or for a social cause, I need it. And you are amazing in what you're doing with your podcast and with just sharing really relevant information. So thank you in advance.
0: My absolute pleasure. And thank you everyone for listening. This has been the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. This podcast was another incredible example of how XR technologies are revolutionizing business across every industry. I want to thank my guest Jenna Sidon from Zambezi Partners. Thank you so much, Jenna. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startup studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know, reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com, and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is gonna drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com, and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.